0: Seltzer King's Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad scientists, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all new episode of Watts Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun! Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer King's Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Shut up, Gavin. I'm not crying. You're Brian, I can't believe I got a deal and I didn't. <laughs> the following podcast contains... You cannot say filth, flying filth, flyin' filth in front of people. Explicit Language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you gave up on the band for selling out right before they dropped their best album ever, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is a Friday, November 22nd, 2019. The record company is going to give me lots of money edition of the show where we talk about selling out not for money, but for a... For a shitload of money! Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Edify, the new streaming service by Fast Eddie's Podcast Network. Are you tired of songs you've heard a thousand times before? Podcast available on every podcast app, television shows starring people you know and love? Then download Edify today. Edify features music by people who lack the talent to get a Recording Tron track, meaning new music for you. Our podcast division is chock full of shows no one has ever heard of, and most importantly, our new video streaming service is nothing but late-night public access from the 1980s. All of our content is exclusive to Edify, meaning you won't find this anywhere else. And for a very good reason, because no one else wanted it. So download Edify today from Google Play or Apple iTunes and start streaming the stuff no one else wants. Wayne. Listen, we need to have a talk about Vanderoff. The fact is, he's the sponsor. And you signed a contract guaranteeing him certain concessions, one of them being a spot on the show. Well, that's where I see things just a little differently. Contract or no, I will not bow to any sponsor. I'm sorry you feel that way, but basically it's the nature of the beast. Maybe I'm wrong on this one, but for me, the beast doesn't include selling out. Garth? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like people only do things because they get paid. And that's just really sad. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little. Yellow. Different. Look, you can stay here in the big leagues and play by the rules, or you can go back to the farm club in Aurora. It's your choice. Yes. And it's the choice of a new generation. I've told a story about how my folks decided I shouldn't play Dungeons & Dragons anymore because they were pretty sure it was leading me down the path to El Diablo. I could be Satan. <laughs> I could have been if they'd just let me. And how I took that money I'd, I'd made from being forced to sell those D&D books and used it to buy heavy metal records for my other friend, whose mom was convinced heavy metal was going to make her son worship the devil. Yes, Satan. <laughs> But that wasn't my only path to embracing the Dark Master through music. My friend Brian also sold me several records by a band named Metallica he was super into. You've heard of them, haven't you? I know you have. Brian was from Southern California and was big into Metallica. He'd even seen them play live a few times and was related to some of the people who knew people in Metallica. Lars, not head-filled. Brian was one of those people who loved a band not just because of the music, but because no one else knew about the band. Ah, one of those guys. Yeah, one of those guys. And Metallica had just signed their first major record deal with Elektra Records, meaning the band was about to break out big time. Which, in the world, according to Brian, meant the band was nothing but a bunch of... You guys are total sellouts. So Brian sold me... All of his Metallica records, including his cassette of the band's demo, No Life to Leather, that if I still had today would fetch a pretty penny on the old B eBay. Unfortunately, I lost it and a whole bunch of other things when my car got repoed. But that's a different story altogether. And Metallica's first release on Electra was their album Master of Puppets, widely regarded as a masterpiece. Though I personally liked Ride the Lightning more than Master of Puppets, but that was purely just a matter of taste awful taste in music yeah that doesn't surprise anyway and in no way had metallica sold out i mean not then they would much later completely sell out their fans and become super dicks but that was so much further along in their careers fuck you james hetfield i already owned your album i just wanted to download an mp3 of them but this isn't a podcast about metallica it isn't even really a podcast about selling out this week, it's a podcast about podcasting. Oh, God, here he goes. On Wednesday, The Hollywood Reporter released the news that my current favorite podcast, the last podcast on the left, was moving to Spotify exclusively. Quote, the streamer has inked a deal to bring the eight-year-old show The Last Podcast on the Left exclusively to its platform, part of a larger push by the company to offer a slate of first-run original shows to its 248 million users, unquote. Host Ben Kissel confirmed the news on his Twitter feed going on to elaborate that, quote, every LPN, that's Last Podcast Network, that's their podcast network, show will be a part of Spotify ad deal. We are 100% still the owners. We busted our ass to make sure our friends and colleagues were taken care of better than ever before. All ships rise together. I'll never stop fighting for it or everyone on the network, unquote. We love them, unquote. Meaning, the other 10 shows on the last podcast network are also moving to Spotify exclusively and will benefit from the streamers’ marketing budget. By any measure, this is a fantastic deal for the creators of the show, who will, according to their social media feeds, retain complete creative control of their shows, increase their listeners, and most importantly, let's go get fucking paid. Now, you would think the reaction of the show's extremely devoted fan base would be joyous As joyous as the creators of a show they ardently adore and have supported financially for over a decade, and now are finally about to get the reconciliation and compensation they deserve? You would think that would be the reaction. Really? Have you met them? Allow me to read you some fan reactions from the Reddit community. Haruk Tun said, quote, Fuck this and the horse it rode in on. L P O T L becoming increasingly corporate friendly is friendly is something I've grudgingly learned to accept. But this it's restaurant quality bullshit, unquote. Reddit user Big Meat Bobby says quote, I'm disappointed, but not surprised. Unfortunately, I will not be following him over to Spotify. Exclusives are a great way to upset a fan base, unquote. And user Darth Corleone said, quote, I will never use Spotify. Maybe I can obtain the episodes through some less than legal means. Otherwise, that might be the end of the road for me. What a shame, unquote. The gist of the feedback on Reddit, and look, we're talking about first reactions on Reddit and social media where people go to bitch and moan about everything, is that the hosts of the shows are, quote, selling out, unquote, the fans and going, quote, corporate, unquote. But then that this is but the first step in watering down the content or the content has already been watered down since the early days of the shows as the hosts were more about the money and less and less about the fans. Where have I heard that before? Well, the first time I heard it, I got a bunch of fucking Metallica records real, real cheap. In the interest of journalistic integrity and full disclosure, I'm not completely unbiased in this. I'm friends with the producer of The Adventures of Danny Danny and Mike, a Last Podcast Network show that is about to move to Spotify. And while I'm not friends with the host of The Last Podcast, I'm one removed for them in several directions and have appeared on podcasts that ran on The Last Podcast Network in the past. But deep down, you're jealous, jelling so hard. (laughs) You might think that, and in doing so, you'd be entirely, completely and utterly right. Fuck Yes, I would sell my left and right nut and put in ping pong balls if I could get that kind of deal. Hell, this show is on. If this show is on Spotify, and if they gave me just the tiny bit of, a bit of marketing, the bump would result in a fundamental change in our listenership. Because in the end, this is a business about getting people to listen to your shit, and big networks are simply the future of the medium. And I'm not completely unsympathetic to the complaints of the show's fans, many of whom are upset they will need to download Spotify to hear their favorite show. Will we survive? I don't know. It sounds trivial, but it is a growing problem for podcasts in general. Since their creation in the mid-2000s, podcasts have grown larger because of the universality. Being distributed via RSS feeds means you don't need a specific application to listen to a show. Places like iTunes were only an index of shows. Not a repository. Put that in your butt, okay? No, 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 Gavin. Uh, uh, repository. You supposit? Never mind. Never mind, just leave it in. We'll keep on going. Ugh. You didn't need to pay for software to play them at all. You could link them through their feeds and play them on any audio player. iTunes was a convenient way to find and play your podcast across multiple platforms, but the content was there free for everyone to find. Then, a market grew for phone apps for, po- for podcasts, adding things like favorites, playback speeds, and, but the content, the content was still broadly open to everyone. You didn't need to subscribe to anything to get it other than an RSS feed. But in the past few years, things have changed. <laughs> There's always been subscriber-only podcasts. From the beginning of the medium, some cre- creators with dedicated fan bases were able to monetize their feeds through subscriptions. I've talked about it in episode 100. And now available for, in our archives for only $1 an episode. What? I'm kidding. No one would pay a dollar for that crap. But over the past few years, networks have realized there's a market for exclusive shows to a paying audience rather than relying fully on ad-supported shows. Slate Podcast was an early and successful adopter of the model. And I don't want to dive too far into the weeds here, so let me just say, increasingly appears that podcasting that becomes a real money making venture, as opposed to the passion projects they've been up till now, will move away from the let's call it free for all model like your FM radio dial, and more into the streaming service like Netflix, Hulu, or Disney Plus. Well, I don't like the sound of that. As a listener, neither do I. I'm not particularly happy about being forced to use Spotify to listen to my favorite show when before it was just automatically delivered to my podcast app. I don't even use Spotify regularly, but I've got nothing against it. I've just never needed it. My concern is that in the future, the market will continue to fracture like it has for streaming services, and I will need five different apps and subscriptions to get the content I want to hear. And as a listener, I... I don't like it one bit! As a creator, though, I fucking get it. You're fucking work your ass off to create something. You spend your money to be sure. And hey, this does cost money. Unless you put on to put up some anchor piece of shit talking to your phone fucking faux podcast piece of crap. That sounds like it was, oh, I don't know, recorded on your fucking phone. You're going to have to spend some money on equipment and a reliable host. Then it costs your time. And yeah. Time is actually worth something even when you're doing it for love, not money. And I'm not just saying that because I want you to donate to my Patreon, which I totally do, patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast, but because people need to understand that these things are work, real work. And it's nice to get paid for your work. Would I sell out for the chance to do this show or a completely different show as my full time job? Motherfuckers, I would slam the door on this thing and never look back <laughs> at all. So fast, I would lead a fucking roadrunner puff behind me. <laughs> meep, meep. And because I would do that, my fan, I think I only have one, that I was selling out. What the fuck does that mean? How am I selling out? The whole idea of selling out is some fanboy bullshit, anyway. For the most of human history, artists work for a patron. Rich fuckers who would hire you to paint the ceiling of their chapels or make a, point- a portrait of their ugly ass kid look kind of halfway decent. And hence. And hence. Then artists and musicians in particular began being considered as more or less self-employed. You practiced your craft and sold your work to whomever would pay for it. Which seems like a better way to do things for everyone involved until the mass market came along and discovered there was real money to be made. Not long after that, the people who enjoyed the products of the artists before they became famous started bitching and moaning about said said artists selling out. I guarantee you... That in Stratford-on-Avon, some pretentious asshole went around moping and grumbling about how Will is so much better before they moved to London. And now all of his sonnets are totally corporate and performing in the globe, man. Jesus, I thought he was in it for the art. Yeah, I told you this wasn't going to be a podcast about selling out, but it kind of is. That comes from a 2017 article in Slate, quote, By the 1980s, sellout was in common use, and not just in an informal conversation, but in print, as the 60s generation took over the levers of publishing and commentary industries. Musicians as varied as Pavarotti, Herbie Hancock, McCoy Tyner, The Clash, Leopold Stokowski, Miles Davis, and Quincy Jones were either attacked or defended for both. The term was even used retroactively to label musicians as varied as Tchaikovsky and Gene Autry, artists. artists themselves were defensive. In one 1989 edition of Musician Magazine, one could find both Tone Loke and the Replacements defending themselves against the charge. Quote, people get panicky when you're not in their little pocket group anymore. Their favorite little group that only they know about, unquote, said Replacements Paul Westerberg. People panic whenever things change, added guitarist Slim Dunlap. If you try to stay pigeonholed and please the old fans, that's the kiss of death. You can't please everybody, but we didn't sell out, I know that, what is a sellout anyway, unquote. Yeah, this shit weighs on artists who actually do love their art, but also love the little things like, you know, eating, paying rent, and of course heroin is fucking expensive. Just ask Nirvana's Kurt Cobain. He labored with the term sellout long before the fans' reactions d- deemed them so in a 1992 Rolling Stone interview. Quote, Cobain had abruptly canceled an earlier interview partly because of the anti-Nirvana letters that recently d- dominated the Rolling Stones' correspondence page. Then he came around. There are a lot of things about Rolling Stone that I've never agreed with, says Cobain in a gentle growl one or two steps up from a whisper. But it's just so old school to fight amongst your peers or people that are dealing with rock and roll, whether or not they're dealing with it with the same context that you would like to. There are a lot of potential political articles in there that I've been thankful for, so it's really stupid to attack something that you're not 100% opposed to. If there's a glimmer of hope in anything, you should support it. I don't blame the average 17-year-old punk rock kid for calling me a sellout Cobain ads. I understand that. And maybe when they grow up a little bit, they'll realize there's more things to life than living out your rock and roll identity so self-righteously, unquote. That was from fucking Kurt Cobain, a guy that fucking did so much heroin and got so fucking depressed and mopey in his fucking rock and roll that he blew his own goddamn head off. And of course, these days, such things are not a problem anymore for musicians who routinely write songs hoping to sell it as music in a commercial, commercial because... It helps pay the rent, sir. Ah, ah, ah. Even before Bob Dylan wrote a fucking album for Victoria's Secret, the sellout thing was bullshit. And it's all part of the idea that artists owe you something, that they work for you, the fan. More and more, fan culture seems to assume that because they purchase what is in fact a product from a creator, or even worse, receive said product for free, that they, not the pro, not the creator, own said product. I don't think it works like that. I assure you, it does not. And the more ardent the fan base is, the more possessive they are of the said product. I mean, we've all seen it in action. Does Star Wars ring a bell for you? I acknowledge I've kvetched about creative choices by the creators through the years. I complained about bad writing, poor story choices, the terrible Deus Ex Machina endings and works. But I've never pretended the creators owed me a better product. Not even you, Ronald D. Moore. You just hurt me deeply with that Battlestar ending. And through it all, I've acknowledged that it was their show. They could ruin it if they liked. My role in this was to choose whether or not to watch and or purchase their products. George R.R. R. Martin wants to take 20 years to write the ending of a story. That's his right and prerogative. Mine is not to wait around for it and read other books. If you 2s Joshua Tree was a masterpiece just because they later released Zeropa, it, it It was awful. God, it was. It doesn't erase Joshua Tree, and I don't have to listen to that shitty Lemon song if I don't want to. That's how this works. None of this says legitimate criticism is off-limits because an artist does something you don't like, but you don't like it for a reason, not just because it's something you think will happen because the artist does something slightly different. The Lemon song isn't bad because it's different from what you two did before, it's bad because it's a bad song. Sounds like you still have some unresolved issues. I do. It's fine. I mean, I guess I was... It's, you know, it's fine to be pissed at George Lucas for having Greedo shoot first when we all know Han did because that is an objectively bad choice. Jar Jar Binks is an objectively bad character, but the way to address those issues is not by declaring a fatwa on George Lucas for them and enshrining the first trilogies on Article Faith. The w- way to deal with it is not spend your money on those products. And also... I cannot stress this enough. If you find that you are no longer enjoying something you once enjoyed, you don't have to continue to partake of that thing anymore. For years, I loved the AMC show, AMC show The Walking Dead. After a certain point, when the show stopped being entertaining to me, I stopped watching the show. I didn't spend hours on the internet writing screeds and demanding the showrunners be put on trial for betraying my fandom. I found something else to watch. All of this is voluntary. It's entertainment, not state-run media. You guys know that you're supposed to enjoy these things, not become enraged by them, right? And definitely stop turning your favorite artist into cult objects. That shit is scarier than anything else I can think of when I read about the Bayhive or Gaga's Little Monsters or the Believers on a tear on fucking the internet. Or for that matter, you know what? I guess it was equally as scary watching people faint in old movies of the Beatles play before a live audience. You know, it's like Mirror Universe Kirk said on Saturday Night Live all those years ago. Get a life, will you people? i crying out loud. It's, it's just a TV show. Sorry, I've been all over the map tonight. I guess what I want to say most of all to the boys on last podcast, you go and get your asses paid to do the work you do. Unlike the shitbags on Reddit and Twitter, I have some small idea of the kind of work you do to bring a show to millions of fans every week. and The labor that goes into researching a topic on a deadline and then trying to turn that research into a coherent product unlike this rather rambling diatribe about fractured podcasting markets and toxic fandom that I'm giving you tonight. I know this shit went off the rails a while back, okay? I'm trying to fix it. If going to an exclusive deal with Spotify makes you money, to pay your staff and helps the other shows on the network rise with your tide and ensures I still get to be entertained, that's not called selling out. That's called being recognized for the work you put in. And all I can say to the fanboys moaning and bitching about it is this. You better recognize, motherfucker. That is it for our show this week. We would like to announce that we too have signed a exclusive deal with a media company for our show and that we'll be moving everything to some big streamer with a fat ad contract, professional studios, a staff of writers to help create the show and that Gavin and I will be sitting around smoking cigars and drinking expensive scotch while dozens of lackeys massage our feet and we'll arrive every day in limos, models on our arms. We would really, 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 really like to announce that. But we are not in a hip-hop video. We are in a used car lot in Queens. So we have not sold out, I guess. Seriously, last podcast, guys, I will totally sell out. Call me. Speaking of selling out, sell out to other people's sanity by rating and review the show wherever you get your pods. It helps other people find the show and understand why we do not have an exclusive streaming contact contract. Follow the show on Twitter at the hell underscore podcast or the show name on Facebook for more evidence along those lines. Since we have not yet sold out, we urge you to kick us a buck on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. It won't get us into a hip-hop lifestyle, but it might pay to keep the show up and streaming. Head over to WhatTheHellPodcast.com for neat little beats of the show, neatly packaged for sharing on the social. Finally, for me, Dave. Hello, I'm a famous person, and I'm for sale. Do you have a product or a business that needs promotion? Do you sell something worthless, something no one will buy because it's poorly built and doesn't work properly, likely to come apart at high speeds, perhaps with toxic side effects? Well, I'm here to help you. I'll take your product, and I'll sell it to them because they trust me, that's right. They trust me because I'm a famous person. Bledsoe, producer. i <sighs> nobody. Gavin and all the fictional... You know, lackeys? They work for me. On this show, we want to say, no more flipping burgers putting on my silly hat. You know that I don't want no more. Well, I didn't ask them to get paid, but I quit my day job anyway. We'll see you all next week. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. <laughs> Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.